Welcome to the ride. Life, Work, and Wealth Podcast with your host, Chris Rowe. Years ago, Chris was a firefighter and a paramedic and witnessed many people not getting another tomorrow, and it shaped who he is now as a financial strategist. Chris doesn't just help people plan for a secure tomorrow, he helps them plan for a better today. Chris lives in Burlington, Ontario, and is an investment advisor at Three Hats Financial, a trade name of Harborfront Wealth Management, an IROC dealer. Let's get to it. Welcome back to The Ride, Life, Work, and Wealth. Host Chris Duro of Three Hats Financial continues his tax discussion with guest Peter Simpson of Simpson & Associates, a full-service accounting firm. Peter has more than 20 years of experience in tax and management accountings. This is part two of his talk with Chris. Thanks, Patrice, and thanks, Peter, for returning to the show. If listeners recall, we had Peter here a few weeks ago talking about uh, tax tips for individuals. So today we're going to do the second part where we're going to be talking about tax tips for small business owners. Since it's now a new year and it's never too early to start thinking about tax planning strategies and how to bring down your tax bill, especially now while you still have time to make some positive changes to your tax situation, since we're obviously well ahead of the, the tax filing deadline, we'll have a chat about a few areas that we get common questions to. So Peter, once again, thanks for coming. And let's start with just simple things like collecting receipts for business related activities that can be done by if you are a sole proprietor or a corporation. And I know that my wife, Tina, who does my bookkeeping absolutely hates this part because I just jam all the receipts into my wallet and she gives me crap every month when I have to pull them out and they're all crimpled in little balls. So <laughs> Let's go over some ideas on the importance of this. And um, if t- Peter, if you can give us some tip on like collecting them, making sure they're organized, what we should be keeping track of. And as an accountant, when you get all these receipts, what would make your life a bit easier and things like that? Sure. No problem, Chris. Thanks for having me back. Uh, yeah. So large corporation, uh, you're, if you're self-employed, you're just on your own. Uh, it's very important to uh, keep track of your receipts, uh, either in a original form or as a PDF. Uh, CRA accepts digital copies of receipts as well as the original receipts, as long as it's in some form that you know, it's a fairly common uh, digital retrieval situation uh, and, the, and the actual receipt is readable. So you can, it's a great way of sort of getting rid of all your paper as well. Just make sure you, you do have a proper backup for them. So as far as receipts go, uh, you do actually have to have a receipt. You can't use a uh, credit card statement showing the amount on it because uh, CRA wouldn't know if you're at a gas receipt and you went in and bought all your Christmas presents with at the, at the local SO or you actually bought gas. So you have to have a, you have to show what it was that you, that you purchased. As far as categorizing them, uh, the common you know common categories for say a self-employed person might be uh, you know, telephone and, and advertising and promotion, meals, uh, any any types of typical expenses. I, I like to see them categorized in the exp- as an expense category, not as in in date order, because if they're in date order, I still have to take them and then re- 
rejig them into a into categories. So uh, putting them in a category list would be great. I do have clients that say, "Here's a big box of receipts, and you guys sort it out," and and that's perfectly fine as well if they don't mind paying for some bookkeeping time to do that. Um, it's probably it could even be more efficient because everybody's good at something, and some people just aren't good at organizing their receipts. So. Mm -hmm. And how, how long should these receipts be kept for? Yeah, there, it's six years because um, that's that's as far back as the CRA can go. But the CRA technically can go back further if they foresee, if they kind of see that you're, you know, malicious intent. So they can go back many years. They can go back 10 years if they wanted to. But typically it's uh, six years would be the, the furthest back. And I don't typically see audits. I, I've been doing this for over 20 years and I don't see audits going back that far, but you should technically keep them for, for six years. And now what about the dreaded mileage log for automobiles? Because yeah, most small problem. business owners uh, know exactly what I'm talking about with that because uh, I'd have to say majority that I know aren't the best at tracking that because it's, mm -hmm. it's not mm -hmm. the easiest. I know now there's apps out there like a mile IQ is one mm -hmm. that it can kind of help you with this. But what have you seen over the years in regards to CRA and how strict they've been with that? Are they getting worse with it? They're actually getting, they're actually getting a little better. Uh, they're, they're, they're being a little more reasonable and sort of real life about how that is dealt with, with most people. It used to be you'd have to show a mileage log, you know, it, back in the day, you'd have to, you know, have it all written out and you'd have it in your paper diary and, and you know, you'd have to show copies of all of that to, to a CRA uh, auditor. But uh, now now they, they still expect you to have some sort of tracking device of some kind, um, but they do accept, sometimes they'll even accept, say, three months out of 12. And if you can explain, you know, where you went and... and you know, sort of more real life versus um, sticking to, you know, exactly this and exactly that. And so you should still track it. I mean, at the end of the day, you got to kind of track where you were at the beginning of the year on your odometer and where you were at the end of the year on your odometer. You know, gives you the total kilometers. Um, if you have to go back over you know, a few months just to see where you traveled to and things like that, we could put something together. Uh, as long as you're reasonable about your your automobile as well, uh, I've got clients that you know I, I traveled 100% for business. And how did you do that? <laughs> it's like you you couldn't have. It's impossible. Um, but uh, keeping it reasonable, you know, 70%, 60, 70% based on your activity levels. I typically look at a client's uh, tax return and they give me their mileage and I see that they only earn $10,000 and it was a part-time business, but they're trying to claim 85% of their car. I'll say, you know, that, that, that's not going to fly. Uh, yeah. Doing these, doing tax returns for this many years, you, you, you almost have a gut feel for, you know, like where you really should be at. And, and most clients are pretty, pretty good about that. Yeah. You, you hear all the stories of, 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 of pretty ridiculous things that people try to write off and some of the horror stories of being audited, I guess. Well, yeah. And I do typically, I, I kind of explain it in a, in a circular way. There's, you know, there's definite expenses. There's, you know, there's some expenses that might be a little bit 
a little bit challenging. And then there's the expenses that you don't even bother trying to go for. And I, yeah, you know, the probability of, of audit just increases exponentially as you're starting to claim more and more. If you have a, if you claim more than 90% for your automobile, you're, there's a really good chance you're going to be, you'll be looked at. Yeah. And especially after the year that would just passed, I don't imagine there'll be, uh, you'll have as many people claiming a whole bunch oh, of mileage for yeah. 2020. Cause no, it's so true. Yeah. I, I know a few even, clients that are way down. Yeah. That, that would be me. I definitely, yep. I know quite, and even some of my clients that just next to no driving. So that's yep. going to be a big difference. Yep, absolutely. Okay. So let's get on to um, now with the current environment, taking advantage of business use of home expenses. So there's yep. obviously much more people running their businesses out of their homes than there was even a year ago because of uh, yep. COVID. So what are some tax advantages of people now working in their home? Yeah, Chris, the uh, typical expenses that uh, self-employed people can claim are things like their utilities they pay. If you have a cleaning, people come in and clean your home, house insurance, property taxes, mortgage interest. It's a really great uh, deduction for, for self-employed people as well as for, for corporations when you have a small corporation because you, if you're taking after-tax things that you usually would pay for and you're turning them into a before-tax expense. So it's a really great, a great deduction. So it's just key part of that is to not be aggressive about the square footage that you're claiming. Um, again, I, I always preach, uh, you know, just be reasonable about your expenses. Don't, don't go crazy on them. Um, you're already getting a nice deduction for things. So don't just don't go way overboard and CRA will typically leave you alone. I, I do, you know, six or 700 tax returns a year and I've been doing them for over 20 years and I don't see a lot of a lot of audits because um, I always try to tell my clients just be you know be reasonable about your expenses don't be don't be nutty don't claim 90% of your home as a as an office because it just those things just won't work um, so those are the typical types of expenses again you do have to keep the receipts for them it's important that you have them the CRA does ask for them any off the wall examples of anything oh. over the years that, that you can think oh. of someone trying to claim? Well, I've, them? Yeah. I've got clients who are trying to claim the, their entire uh, kitchen renovation you know, of <laughs> $80,000 and they'll just try to deduct it as an expense or you know, just things like that, or claiming again, like 80 to 90% of their home, if they got a 2,500 square foot home and they're somehow saying that they've claimed 2000 square feet for a two person, uh, two-person office and it's just things like that just don't don't work and those, those are the ones that typically would get audited they cra won't go after you for claiming 20 percent versus 18 percent or, or you know there's 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 no there's no money in it for them to go after a small differential but there's yeah. you know there's good money there to to go wait a minute we're taking you, you can only claim 20 percent versus 90 percent, so that's thousands of dollars yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now we touched on this before, but um, with the personal side of, of tax tips, but let's just touch on this once again, RSPs mm -hmm. for, well, mm -hmm. RSPs and tax for savings account contributions for business owners. Mm -hmm. So when should a small business owner think about putting money into their RSP? Um, it would be pretty similar situation. Well, what we're, we're talking, when we're talking about business owners, we have to keep in mind there's, there's, corporations so a small yeah. business owner has a corporation and then and then there's self-employed individuals so self-employed individuals are are sort of like 
employees that have an employment income because every income they every dollar they earn gets taxed so you sort of treat a, a small business self-employed person and once you're up over somewhere in the 50 to 60 thousand dollar range is when you start to look at rsps anything below forty five thousand uh, dollars you don't get a great savings you get mm -hmm. between 15 and 20 percent you might you might save, but anything up up above into the 50, 60, 70, $80,000 range, you're starting to get into the 30, 40, 50% uh, tax savings. Self-employed individual that earns over 200,000, they're getting taxed at 50% plus. So it's huge savings there for RRSPs. Uh, TFSAs are a great, uh, great investment tool. As you know, you, you could probably talk about that more than I can, but you're, you're saving money there because you're, everything you earn isn't being taxed at all, any kind of investments. So as far as corporations go, um, I'll, I'll talk about this a bit, a bit later, perhaps about when to incorporate and things like that. So I'll leave that one for now. Yeah, because then even then that's also like with some of my clients, of course, they're getting their income from the corporation and they're over that and they can do RSP contributions, but yeah. then they also have stagnant money sitting inside their corporation and the rules still allow us today, which is good to still that they can still invest that money inside their corp. Yep. Up to a certain point. And then once you get above a certain level of investment income, it starts to uh, drag down your, uh, your small business tax rate, but you've, you've got to be up to uh, quite a bit of, quite a bit of investment income to, to, for that to start happening. Yeah, I feel that that's a kind of a low hanging fruit for the CRA to eventually come back and challenge more because it was years, a couple of years ago, they were kind of trying to go after that, correct? Yep. Yeah. Yep, they were. So still an opportunity to do that as of now, but oh, yeah. we just never know when that may disappear because there was a tension on it before from CRA. Exactly. Um, so, okay, let's get into that question because this is one that comes up pretty common with a lot of small business owners is when they should incorporate their business. It comes up a lot because owners think that, well, I'm being told I should incorporate, but as you know, Peter, there's obviously there's extra costs and time to that. So when is it worth it for someone to finally take that leap and now incorporate their business? Okay. Uh, this could be a two hour answer. Yeah. Or it could be a five minute hour, <laughs> five minute answer. So I'll, I'll give you the five minute answer. How's that? Sure. Yeah. Or, or even less. Uh, so the, the general concept of a corporation is that it's a separate entity from the, the individual. So you've got this corporation over here and you've got the individual here. The individual owns the shares of the corporation. So as opposed to being self-employed, the money flows through the corporation. Simple example, let's say you have $300,000 in revenue, $50,000 of costs, and you end up with $250,000. If you're self-employed, you pay taxes on that entire $250,000. If you don't need all the $250,000, let's say you only needed 150 of it, there's $100,000 sitting there that gets taxed at a really high rate, say 40 to 50% tax rate. So, and if you're in a corporation, you only need the 150, you take the 150 out and you pay taxes on the 150, 100 sits in the company and gets taxed at a really low rate. So the general concept is if you don't need all of the money you're earning, 
then you should be looking at incorporating. If you need all the money that you earn, all you're really doing is creating a corporation, have the money go into there and you take it all back out and you get taxed on it anyways. So there's no, no real point in having a, a corporation if you need all the money. And that, on top of that, if you're say at about a $50,000 of income, it's not worth incorporating because it's, you probably need all the money anyways and your tax savings are very, very minimal. And that's gonna cost you $1,500 to incorporate going to cost you twelve to fifteen hundred dollars to file a corporate tax return and your savings basically evaporate so there's really no real advantage to incorporating so i would suggest first off you look and say do i need all the money i'm earning if the answer is no then you go to the next point and saying okay that's the first level it looks like i might want to incorporate uh, and then second level would be go to an accountant and say, okay, I, I'm looking at incorporating. Here's how much money I only need. Here's how much money I'm typically earning. Show me how it might be worth my, my while to incorporate. And I typically, what I would do is run some scenarios for a client and say, and, and kind of show it on a spreadsheet very simply over the, over 10 years, it's really worth, here's how much you will potentially save in incorporating. It's a convoluted answer, but does that help? Yeah, no, no, it does. It just, especially with the the number values saying of if how much they make and if you're spending every dollar, then don't set up the corporation because of right. the cost. And, and not, not only just the, the cost, there's also uh, a significant amount of time need to be dedicated to yeah, that, to, to yeah. keep that in order. But a lot of people get confused when, when, when that line in the sand has been crossed and they should incorporate. Yeah, I would say somewhere in the, um, I wouldn't use um, net income as an example. I would use the money you don't need as an example. If okay. you get to the point where you don't need, say, in excess of about $50,000 of your income on a consistent basis, then there's a really good chance that it might be worth the savings to you. Okay. To incorporate. Yeah, the other thing too that I'll, we'll just mention is that, of course, aside from that, there's the advantage of incorporating because of the limited liability. So yeah, when a business is obviously incorporated, it's considered a separate entity from right. the owner. And then what that does is it just allows your small business to be on the hook and protect your personal assets from creditors and lawsuits. Yeah. So if, you're, if you have a small business that involves a great deal of risk, that's another benefit of having a corporation. Yeah, one of the other benefits too is the capital gains exemption on the sale of your company. Yeah, that's a big one. Sale of, <laughs> sale of, sale of shares of your company. So you incorporate, you build up this wealth in your company, the company is doing really, really well and it's worth a million dollars and you go and sell the business. As long as it's considered a Canadian controlled private corporation and you would save 800,000 of that would be exempt. From, from any kind of capital gains, uh, as long as it was the sale of the shares of the business. Yeah. And it's, that's not a simple thing to do. That would be more of a, you might want to, not sure if you had a business valuator on or not before, but, uh, or, a, or sales and acquisitions type person before. Actually, we, actually we, we did, uh, from Grant and Thornton, uh, right. We just did a uh, Ryan. We had him on there a few weeks ago for just how to for small business owners how to prep to start getting their businesses ready to sell. Right, 
right? And it's tough to sell a business these days. It's uh, it's not an easy thing. And selling the shares of your business is a challenge sometimes for, for businesses because the person that's buying them is buying the assets and the liabilities or any potential liabilities of a business. So people kind of stay away from that a little bit more than buying the assets of your business or, or a mm. customer list or whatever it is you might be buying. Okay. Well, there's definite advantage there though. Yeah. Okay. And then now it may sound simple, but having a plan to pay your taxes as a business owner, because right. I just know of some situations I've dealt with in the past with clients and things like that, where they have delayed doing this or didn't plan on the bill that would they would be getting at the end of their calendar year in regards to what they would have to pay for tax. So Peter, do you have some tips on how business owners should be organized and having a plan to pay their taxes? Yeah, well, there's a couple things there, uh, Chris. There's often I'll find the first time through a tax return with a self-employed individual, they are often surprised and shocked at how much tax they owe because they're often <laughs> used to being an employee and they have their taxes taken off their paycheck and everything typically works out and there's hardly anything owing at the end of the year or they get a small refund. And then they come along and do this whole self-employed thing and then they owe suddenly 10000 or $15,000 in taxes and they kind of spent that money already. So it's yeah. what, what I often do with new clients is... Um, I will run a run a tax return for them and say, here's what you're looking at earnings potentially as income. Let's say you've got this roughly this much in expenses and here's your net income. This is for a self-employed person. And then here's what you'll typically owe. And I try to recommend that they put aside, you know, into a separate bank account. It may seem silly, but open a, open a separate bank account and put, X percent every time you get paid something into that separate bank account. And it's the first year because CRA doesn't ask for money ahead of time from people until they realize after a couple of tax returns that they always owe a bunch of money, then they'll force you almost to make installment payments to them. Mm -hmm. So in the meantime, I would just suggest going to somebody early and say, how much money will I potentially owe? And then you just put that money aside on a monthly basis or weekly basis. Even it's, it's way easier to bite off than having to owe huge amounts at the end. I've got some clients that you know, they, they owe 20, $30,000. And that's and the other side of it is in addition to that, people that sometimes have ups and downs in their, in their income, like great ups and downs. Yeah. Like for example, this year, I've got a bunch of real estate clients that have done extremely well. And they've say gone from a $150,000 a year to $300,000 a year in commissions. And that extra 150, I'm hoping that they're saving some money aside for it because it's gonna cost them $40,000 in taxes. So so it's good to go to your accountant just, you know, just for a, a brief conversation. Here's where I'm at, here's how much I might Earn. Here's my typical expenses. Can you give me just a rough idea what I might owe in the spring? Yeah. So I imagine it's good for, especially like you said, jobs like that, where they fluctuate mm -hmm. quite a bit yep. to do it at the beginning of the year, like now, or, yep. and even like just doing a, a check-in or getting a tax projection from their accountant 
uh, yeah. six months halfway through the year, just so they can make sure that they don't have a big surprise at the end of the year. Yeah. I mean, it's not too late even now, right? You're, and you're, here I am at the end of the year, pretty much. I don't expect to earn a ton more money and you don't owe the taxes until April 30th. Yeah. So you still have four months, at least you're four months ahead of the game to, to sort of say, here's how much I'm, I'm going to have to put aside and you can have to be a little more aggressive as far as the savings, but at least you've got something put aside. Well, thanks, Peter. I appreciate that. And as we're getting close to, uh, well, running out of time here, is there anything else you want to add? Yeah, Chris, I was just thinking that we didn't really chat about uh, HST, uh, applying for an oh, HST number right. for, yeah. a, uh, for a small business. Typically, well, the rule is that you have to have, you have to apply for an HST number if you have earnings of more than $30,000. But getting an HST number earlier, if you think that you're going to be running this business for a longer period of time, it's well worth getting an HST number because you actually save money by claiming the HST on your expenses and charging HST to your clients. It, it, so you actually would save money by having an HST number because you don't have to pay HST. You, you get all the HST back on your on your business expenditures. So it's it's just something that you know it's worthwhile doing for, for small businesses. It's one more form you have to file but I typically file it when I'm filing the client's uh, personal tax return at the same time. So it's, uh, it's no huge added burden really. And it's actually saving you money. Okay, great. Well, no, great point to throw in there at the end. Yeah, that's right. I, we did forget to talk about that, but thanks very much, Peter, for coming on again and uh, giving my listeners some pretty good tips. And what we'll do is we will have you back as we get closer to tax time, because I know that's when a lot of people have more questions, of course, I also realize that is the busiest time of the year for you, but we'll have you back yeah. on somewhere toward, maybe we'll, we'll tape it like one in the morning or two in the morning or something and you're free. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. I'd be happy to come back. Thank you for having me. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Okay, Chris, have a great day. Thank you, Peter Simpson of Simpson Associates. And of course, our host, Chris DeRoe of Three Hats Financial. To make sure you know when new episodes of Chris's podcast are available, Subscribe to The Ride, Life, Work, and Wealth using the subscribe button on this page. You can also share with the share button. Thank you for listening to The Ride, Life, Work, and Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. All comments are of a general nature and should not be relied upon as individual advice. The views and opinions expressed in this commentary may not necessarily reflect those of Harborfront Wealth Management. While every attempt is made to ensure accuracy, facts and figures are not guaranteed. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing or tax advice. Please seek advice from your accountant regarding anything raised in the content of the podcast regarding your individual tax situation. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.